Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. <clears throat> I'm scared, Dad. Do you trust me, son? Yes. Rule number one, never trust anybody. <clears throat> Is that it? Do you believe that God will walk away from you when you're depending on him to catch you? Do you believe that? Have so many others disappointed you that you feel pretty sure that God is going to disappoint you as well? Everybody else has disappointed me. I believe God is going to disappoint me. That fear and that fact of disappointment from other people is why we're told to to run our Christian race with our eyes on Jesus and not our eyes on other people. Because other people will disappoint you. Pastor Ray, would you ever disappoint us? I would never want to. But I can't promise you that I never will. Pastor Ray, would my parents ever disappoint me? I don't think they would ever want to. But I can't tell you that they never will. If I were expecting my friend to catch me, if I were to fall, would they ever uh, walk away from the ladder? Well, I, I hope they wouldn't, but I can't say that they wouldn't. But I can tell you this. If you'll keep your eyes on the Lord, he's trustworthy. And he should be able to overcome your general distrust. Let me read to you what Hebrews 12 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God honestly there's no reason for us to not trust the Lord in every area. Trust Him with our salvation. Trust Him with our well-being. Uh, trust Him with our, our health. And we should trust Him when we have fears about finances. Now, we've seen three reasons why we shouldn't. Why should we put our trust in Him? Why should I <clears throat> trust God? Well, first of all, I'm assuming that none of us came up with a valid reason not to trust him. I'm assuming that everybody realizes that your general distrust of everyone else shouldn't be applied to God. I'm assuming that everybody realizes that if he has failed in your expectations, that your expectations may have been misguided because God doesn't fail. Why then should we trust in God in every area, including finances? Well, here's the first one. This is a biggie because of who God is. He's God. <clears throat> this is all about believing God. Who is God <clears throat> that we can believe Him? There's only one thing that we should know about who God is, and that is that He is holy. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 15, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Now, unlike any one of us or anyone we know, God is perfection. God is spotless. God is absolutely 
holy. Now, if somebody else, you might say, I can't believe they would say that. Well, you might as well believe somebody would say that because none of us are holy. I can't believe that they would do that. Well, you might as well expect that because none of us are holy. But God is holy. Absolute perfection. One of the big debates in seminary is whether or not Jesus could have sinned. And it's still being debated. But there's one thing that we know is that he didn't sin. He lived without sin. God is holy. And God does not sin at all. Here's something else that he doesn't do. In, in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Now, lying is a sin. And we're discussing the importance of trusting God, specifically trusting God in <clears throat> the financial fears that we may have. Now, here it is. God does not lie. You believe that? God does not lie. I think some of us think he might lie. <clears throat> but, but what we should believe <clears throat> what we should believe is what the Bible teaches, that God does not lie. He just doesn't. <clears throat> Whatever he says, he will do. Whatever he says is true. The Bible also tells us that he will <clears throat> never leave us or forsake us. Now, what does that mean? That means <clears throat> the God who is absolutely trustworthy, who never lies, <clears throat> the God who is the maker of all things, that that same God will never run out on us. The same God. We may run out on him. <clears throat> Others may run out on us, but God doesn't run out on us. The reason we can believe God is because of who he is. And then there's this. We can believe God because of what he has done. Speaking of his holiness, this verse tells us uh, of his works. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variation or shadow due to change. So to move away from financial worries, we have to believe God. That's the first question you've got to answer today. Do you believe God? You say, well, I'm saved. I must believe God. Well, if you're saved, that means you believe God for your salvation. But do you believe God in all things? Do you believe God in every area? You say, well, Pastor Ray, I... That's a hard question to answer. Well, don't answer it to me. Answer it to God. Just go ahead and tell God you don't believe him. <laughs> God, I believe that you died on the cross. And I said, I trust you for my eternity because I know that when I die, I'm going to go somewhere forever. <clears throat> I trust you with my eternity. I absolutely do. I have no other hope of salvation but you. I believe in you, God. You are my all in all. You are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. I'm going to heaven because of all of my trust in you. Well, now, do you trust me to provide all of your need? You know what, God? That's tough. I got a bank account. I got bills to pay. I got people who are dependent on me. 
I mostly trust you. The second point is work with God. If you believe God, work with him. If you've ever coached or, or been a coach, you know the importance of having an athlete or a musician or any other person that you might be trying to mentor, the importance of having them to work with you and not against you. It's difficult, if not impossible, to get to where we want to go while working against those who are trying to teach us. I saw a little video from ESPN this week where Tim Tebow has been working with some, uh, throwing some quarterback coach out in USC, said he's been working 10 hours a day on his, um, the way to think in the NFL mode and to drop back and to throw with one motion and to, to deliver the ball a lot faster than he had been delivering the ball. Evidently, that was the problem that everybody saw was in his uh, delivery of the ball. And so he'd been working with them. And, and uh, the, this report talked about how that nobody had worked any harder than Tim Tebow uh, that had ever worked with that particular coach and that how he was working really, really hard and, and that he had gone from being in, in the assessment of the NFL, this is not my assessment, gone from being a bad quarterback to being, uh, to being at the level of a really good quarterback in the NFL. They didn't say a great quarterback. They said a, a good quarterback in the NFL, which I thought was pretty interesting. He worked with uh, the coach. He's working with that, that guy. And I believe it was five or six months that he worked with him. We need to learn to work with God in these areas where we have fears. And if you're afraid financially, you have to learn how to work with God financially. God is most interested in providing our every need. Sometimes we just don't work with Him. And when we don't work with Him, we have worry and doubt. Now, let's talk about what it means to work with Him. There's two things that I want to give you concerning working with Him. The first is the word give. That's the first thing. That is the first step in working with God. You've got to work with God in this way. There's a principle stated in the Old Testament that has confirmation and meaning in the New Testament. I want to give you the Old Testament principle. We'll give you some New Testament confirmation in a minute. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now take a look at that verse. What do you think that it means? What does it mean? It's written a long time ago. What does it mean in 2014? Well, you say it doesn't mean anything in 2014. It was written a long time ago. Well, you have to understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins uh, 2,000 years ago. Does that mean something? Yeah, sure it does. Well, then this must mean something. God has a storehouse. Now, we're the tabernacle of God. That is, our bodies are the tabernacle of God. But what's his storehouse? Well, it has to be the church. The church is God's storehouse. The the church is, is where God's accumulations are made. Then what are we to bring into a storehouse? Well, the verse says a tithe. Now, what is a tithe? Well, you know what a tithe is. What does it sound like? Tithe, tithe, tenth. You know what that is? You say, are you talking about 10%? Well, no, I'm not. That's what Malachi said. 
he said, bring you the tithes into the storehouse. And I know that, that this is an Old Testament verse, but there's a, a New Testament, uh, uh, there's a New Testament teaching that supports this Old Testament principle. And that is 1 Corinthians 16.1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, this isn't the Sabbath, this is the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. The, the point is that we should be happy, honored, and humbled to give to God who provides for us. I had a really good conversation with someone the other day in Gold's Gym about this very thing. This, this person was, was asking me about this very principle. And, and the person asked me, said, now, what does that mean? I said, well, let me tell you what it means to me. <clears throat> Here's what it means. It means that every time that I prosper, that the the first dedication that I have is at least 10% to the Lord. I, and, and this person said, is that a hard thing to do? I said, it used to be a hard thing to do. It really was. There was a time when it was a hard thing to do. It was a hard designation for me. But I, I did it, and there were a couple of things that, that happened. And after those things happened, I realized that God is not going to be dis- untrustworthy, that I could trust God. And I explained to him how that my wife and I, many, many years ago, when we were in our 20s, that we set out and determined, you know what, we're going to not only uh, give to the the work of the Lord, we're going to do our best to be generous with other people. This verse goes on to tell how uh, tithing and giving proportionally back to the Lord is working with God. Now look at verse, in the verse in Malachi again. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now here's what God says. God says if we will work with him, he will really, really, really bless us. And apparently in the same manner by which we tried to bless him. He even said to put it to the test. Even more, God's Word tells us this in the New Testament. Here's what Jesus said. Now look, we're talking about do we trust God, right? You understand that? Do we trust God? Do we believe God? Here's what Jesus said. The same Jesus that died on the cross for our sin. In Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap for with the measure you use, it will be measured <clears throat> back to you. You ever had something just fall in your lap? That's what this verse is saying. <clears throat> Give, and you'll be shocked at what falls in your lap. I, I'm going to hasten to give an illustration <clears throat> that I didn't plan to give. Jen and I, and, and I, I go back, Jen and I made a decision. Oh, we, we were, I guess we were about 25 or 26 years old maybe 26, <clears throat> we made a decision about being generous. I listened to a sermon that, that really <clears throat> jazzed me up, and so I called Jan, and, and we made this <clears throat> decision about being generous. And now you have to understand that, that we didn't have any money. 
We, we weren't, you know, we weren't rolling in it. We weren't doing great. Uh, we, we were just kind of getting by, just kind of getting by. And I said, Jan, is that okay with that? Now, let me say this about Jan. <clears throat> she has always, always been eager to do the things that God would have us to do. <clears throat> she, would, she has always been eager about that. She didn't say, well, I don't know. She never, never did that. <clears throat> she trusts the Lord, and she trusts me, quite honestly. And so <clears throat> we, we did this, and, and we began to give. And I won't go in, all into it, but I, I will tell you this, <clears throat> that, that we were poor. We had no savings. We had no hope of savings. We had nothing, nada, <clears throat> zit, boop, that was it, nothing, <clears throat> nada. But we decided we were going to start doing it. And so we, we did two things. One is we gave $100, which was all that we really had. We gave $100 to a young couple who were trying to serve the Lord who were really, really broke, broker than we were. <clears throat> we gave $100 to them. And then we committed ourselves and we began to tithe every single Sunday. Now, we've been tithing every single Sunday since then. And <clears throat> but we did that. Now, listen to me real carefully. I'm just telling to you about how God... Uh, did what God did for me and, and for us. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> we had a, didn't have any hope of ever having a house or owning a house. We were renting, and we were going to rent until Jesus came. That was just the way that it was. We were going to rent. The American dream was to own a house, but, but we were going to rent because we just couldn't ever buy a house. I got a phone call from my old cousin. I got to hurry this story up because I don't want to run out of time. I got a phone call from my old cousin. When I say my old cousin, I had a cousin and, and his name was Earl Kersey, and Earl Kersey was the Ancient of Days. And Earl Kersey used to, he'd go to auctions, he'd go, and he, you know, Earl Kersey was a hoarder before there were hoarders. He was a picker before there were pickers. Earl Kersey was just that guy. And Earl Kersey uh, called me uh, one evening. This was like two or three weeks after we had made the decision, or maybe a month or two after we'd made the decision and the commitment. And he said, uh, hey, Randy, would you and Jan like to have a house? And I said, yeah, we'd love a house, but Earl, we can't buy a house. He said, you might be able to buy this one. I was at a, <clears throat> an auction, and I stood next to this old man, and I thought to myself, if Earl's calling him an old man, this dude must have been, you know, gasping. But uh, <clears throat> he called him an old man, so I stood next to this old man, and he's got a house in Goodlettsville. Well, I grew up in Goodlettsville, G-O-O-D-L-E-W-T-S-V-L-E-L-E. -E. I, I grew up in Goodlettsville. And so I, he said he's got a house in Goodlettsville. He and his son started this house, but they can't finish it because of his health, and they've run out of money, and he wants to just sell it for what he's got in it. And uh, I, he said, I got a phone number. So long story short, I called a guy. I met the guy out there. I went, and it was, it was a, a brick home sitting on two lots, the, the corner lot the house was sitting on, and then the lot behind it. One thing led to another, and I said, okay, uh, we want to buy this house. And, and I, he said, uh, I said, what do you want for it? He said, I want $20,000 as it sits. Now, you got to remember, this was 1976, maybe, or so, 77. He said, I want $20,000 as it sits. Well, I had been in building, and I was calculating, it's going to cost me $10,000 to finish this house. And, and I'd stopped by the bank, and the bank said, we'll loan you whatever it takes to buy it and to finish it. And so... I said, okay, and I, they give, gave me a contract. I took the contract, <clears throat> I signed the contract, and I said, 
uh, for $20,000. I said, now, we've got to make this legal. I've got to give you some earnest money. He said, no, don't worry about that. I said, I've got to. I, you know, I was 26. I, I wanted to live by the left. I, I didn't want this deal to go away. And so <clears throat> I said, what about a dollar? And he said, a dollar will be fine. And I reached in my billfold, and I pulled out a $1 bill. I stood, and I remember standing in the garage of that house. I pulled out a $1 bill. I handed it to this man. And I said, this is the first dollar on paying this house off to you. Now, let me just give you the real quick rest of the story. We sold the lot next door for $5,000. We finished uh, the building uh, construction uh, and, and uh, the purchase for $30,000. <clears> the 5000 reduced us down to $25,000. We had $25,000 in the house, lived in it two years, sold it two years later for $47,500. Let me, let me tell you what that is. That's God dropping it in your lap. You understand that? I'm going to go get me one of them. No, 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 no. You've got to let God get you one of them or whatever it is that God wants to do. The, the point is that, that, God, that God will bless our generosity. There are more than a few believers who do not really believe the Lord in this promise. They're sure of him in everything else, but not in this. The first thing you need to do in working with God is to give. Let me give you the second thing, govern. Govern. If we give back to God the tenth or 10% of what he has given us, what we do with the greater portion is very important as well. The 90%. I mean, you think about that. If you earn, if you earn let's say, $30,000 a year, okay, I'll just I'll, I'll throw that out. If you earn $30,000 a year, and uh, to make it easy for me, and you tithe $3,000, here's what that means. You're going to live on $27,000. Now, if you think to yourself, I just, I, I can't afford to tithe, uh, thinking that you you know the another way if you just forget that and say God has given me twenty seven thousand dollars to live on it's amazing what God will do if you'll govern that money first Timothy 6 6 says but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything away out of the world but if we have food and clothing uh, with with these we will be content but those who <clears throat> desire to be rich Full, uh, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all uh, kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have uh, wandered away from faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now look, I have never known anyone to get into financial trouble by tithing. I've never known anyone to get into financial trouble by giving, but I've known a lot of people to get into financial trouble by not governing. How much more than you have would it take for you to be content? Let's go back to the $30,000 a year person. $30,000 a year said, well, I'll tell you what, I make $30,000 a year, but if I made forty, dollars I'd be set. No, you wouldn't. And the reason you wouldn't is because chances are you're not content at 30. And if you're not content at 30 and you're given 40, you're not going to be content at 40. 
You say, I know, but I'll tell you this, if I doubled my income, if I had $60,000, I'd be rolling in it, I would be content. Not if you're not content today. It's, that's just the way that it is. If you're not happy with what you have, you will not be happy with more than you have. You, you just won't. You just have to be happy. You have to make your decision. I'm happy with what I have. I, <laughs> Matt Tharp sitting down here next to his beautiful wife, Jess. Now, Matt, I want you to look over at Jess. Just take a look at her. I'm not going to make you say anything. Just take a look at her. Let me explain something to you, Matt. I've known you all your life. You're never going to do better than her. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. Look, you remember that house that fell out of the sky on my lap? <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. I had picked out several girls for you. Not one of them looked like her. I picked out those that I thought you could, you know, be in their ballpark. But God did something better for you than I would have done for you. Obviously, I'm kidding you, buddy. You need to be happy with her. She's a wonderful mother. She's a hard worker. I know about her. She's a hard worker, a wonderful mother. She's just as pretty as she can be. She's competent. She's confident. Be happy with her. You know, you know what happens with marriages? Same thing that happens with finances. We're not content. We become ill-content. We're like the 40-year-old guy that told his wife when she turned 40, I'm going to trade you in on 220s. And she said, you're not wired for 220. And I want to tell you, that's the truth. If you're not happy with who you are and what you have and what God has done to you, you're not going to be happy beyond that. It's not just giving, it's governing. If we want to end our financial worries, we must believe God and we must work with Him and give back to Him faithfully and learn the lesson of contentment. And when we learn the lesson of contentment, we will not only manage our finances, but we'll be happier in every area of life. Every area of life. There will not be an area of life that you're not happier in if you learn to trust in God, to believe Him, to give to Him, to govern yourself. You will be happier. And you know why? Because you'll have more confidence. It just works that way. Let me give you the final thing and we're done. That is to pursue God. If you really want all this to happen, then you've got to pursue God. Long passage, kind of apologize for it at the end, but you'll understand it. Matthew 6, 25 and following. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. It is not, is not life uh, more than food and body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, I would preach on that, but that kind of preaches on itself, doesn't it? That kind of tells its own story. What if we trusted God with everything? In fact, what if we sought God, pursued him first in every step of life? What if everything that we did, first of all, God, I want you to know I'll never make a decision that will jeopardize my obedience to you, and I'll never make a decision, God, that will cause you to not be able to bless me because I've not governed my life. Lord, please, I want to just pursue you. I'll make every decision in light, God, of who you are and who you are in my life. Would you like to be able to live without financial worry? Of course you would. All of us want to live this way. A bigger paycheck may help, but it's not a guarantee. You can be sure of it when you believe God and work with Him and pursue Him first in all that you do. Then truly there are no worries. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.